Welcome to the PEI podcast, where we discuss all things hearing healthcare related, from hearing aids to balance and everything in between. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Dr. Rebecca Blaha, and I am an assistant professor in the Osborne College of Audiology at Salis University. I've been an audiologist for the past 18 years, and I'm currently the lead audiologist for the Pennsylvania Ear Institute, which is the on-campus training clinic for the students attending our residential doctor of audiology program here at Salis. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Martin Pankowski. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Uh, so uh, like Rebecca, I'm a professor here. I've been here for 11 years and unlike Rebecca, I'm not an audiologist or a clinician of any kind. I'm a hearing researcher. I've done quite a bit of research um, on tinnitus and hyperacusis, published uh, a number of papers on those topics. And so I uh, actually often get contacted by tinnitus and hyperacusis patients, always happy to uh, you know, help them informally, provide them with advice, etc. So I do have some real patient experience also. So that brings us to the present topic. We're here today to discuss tinnitus for National Tinnitus Awareness Week. So what generates tinnitus? Tinnitus is often the first reason that anyone would seek the advice or expertise of an audiologist. But what does science believe generates this perception? Right. Uh, It's a complex, potentially complex issue. Um, There are many causes. The the main cause, um, the one that, that, that affects most patients, is, is hearing loss. And uh, as you mentioned, um, sometimes the, the bothersome tinnitus manifests itself before, you know, really noticeable hearing loss and people come in with a tinnitus problem before they, you know, notice they have a big hearing loss problem. But uh, in most in most patients, there is uh, an underlying hearing loss. Uh, but there are other um, causes or etiologies of tinnitus. So some of these other causes include jaw uh, problems, jaw muscle problems. Um, there is a, a, a neural pathway from, from, from muscles of the, of the head and neck into the auditory system, so problems of the somatosensory system, uh, in the, again, in the head and neck can uh, lead to these phantom auditory sensations. There are also, um, if, you, if you've had a head injury, a concussion, uh, that can also trigger uh, some tinnitus, a rare condition, uh, spastic contractions of the middle ear muscles that can also lead to uh, phantom sounds. So these um, these causes uh, lead to so-called subjective tinnitus. So this is tinnitus for which there is uh, no identifiable sound source uh, of, of any kind. So the tinnitus is entirely, um, you know, a product of, 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 uh, of your own ear or, or auditory nervous system. There's no, no physical sound source. So the, by far, um, the vast majority of tinnitus patients have this uh, so-called subjective tinnitus. Um, there's another type of tinnitus called objective tinnitus, um, and this uh, has uh, identifiable sound sources. Uh, these sound sources are within the body, uh, and they're usually uh, abnormally loud, uh, pulsating blood vessels close to the ear. There's some others, uh, some other body sounds that can be that can be heard, but the the, the pulsating blood vessel is, is is the most common. So that's a quick rundown of the most common causes. Where again, uh, hearing loss and the hearing loss, uh, of course, itself uh, can uh, can be due to many things. Um, one of the most common is noise exposure. Uh, another is, um, you know, is, is aging, is the loss of, of uh, sensory hair cells and nerve fibers uh, as we age. And this is why the, the prevalence of both hearing loss and tinnitus is, is greater in the elderly. But that's a, a quick summary. Now, I've often heard the uh, statistic that about 90% of patients with tinnitus will have hearing changes, as you mentioned. So what is the brain reacting to or what officially generates the tinnitus? tinnitus signal, what is that disconnect that we see between the hearing changes and the brain's reaction? Yeah, that's also a a complicated uh, question. So um, 
one of the leading theories for what we think is going on um, is that uh, you know after hearing loss we have this uh, reduction of of, of uh, auditory uh, system activity. So let's say if we have a high frequency hearing loss, we've lost the ability to hear high frequencies. Uh, those areas of the brain uh, that are normally responding to high frequencies um, just uh, just sit silent and, and and the brain for for some time. Uh, and the brain doesn't like that. It doesn't like uh, you know parts of it to to go unused. Uh, and so it begins to, um, you know, to, to do a number of things. Uh, one of the things that happens is that uh, the neighboring frequency regions, uh, these mid-frequencies, let's say, uh, become um, overrepresented, as the, as the term goes. And, uh, and so the, the mid-frequencies generate uh, activity in this high-frequency region, um, and that, that, that is heard as tinnitus. Um, another compensation is um, the the brain uh, tries to, you know, in this condition of, 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 let's say, high frequency silence as a result of the high frequency hearing loss, the brain tries to make those high frequency neurons uh, more efficient. Uh, so it, it sort of strengthens the synaptic connections uh, between neurons in an attempt to sort of amplify external sound. Uh, but as it does that, uh, sometimes um, this spontaneous activity, so all of our um, neurons are to some degree also spontaneously active, you know, they, they generate electrical activity in the absence of stimulation. Uh, and this spontaneous activity uh, is also amplified uh, by this, uh, you know, in, in the course of this um, sensitization or whatever you want to call it um, uh, to compensate for the hearing loss. So this, um, uh, this, this increase in spontaneous activity uh, is another, um, you know, uh, so-called you know, neural correlate or, or neural signature of, of tinnitus. Uh, but there are some others. It gets, you know, more complicated from here. So... I'll leave it at that for now. Now, as a clinician, the current methods for management, because right now we can't reverse these types of neural changes, is counseling. So if there are truly neural changes taking place, why would counseling be effective? Well, counseling um, just helps people cope. Um, um, you know, it helps people cope with with any condition, uh, not just tinnitus. And um, you know, tinnitus uh, has you know it, it's sort of a a sudden frightening thing potentially uh, comes on comes on quickly sometimes out of the blue, uh, and and patients don't know um, you know what hit them. Uh, they don't know that um, you know this is again probably a consequence of their hearing loss or some other issue, uh, and they you know may worry that this is um, you know a first sign of, of of dementia potentially or something like this. So one role of counseling is just to you know, reassure patients and, and, and hopefully, you know, tell them that their tinnitus has a, a identifiable cause and that we can try to uh, to treat it. Now, of course, this isn't going to make the, the tinnitus go away, uh, but it, again, uh, can, uh, you know, make coping with it um, easier. The other big role uh, for counseling is to, um, you know, if, if the hearing loss, uh, for example, and tinnitus uh, is due to loud noise exposure, uh, you know, a very important message that needs to be uh, told to patients on, on day one uh, is that they have to, you know, try really hard uh, to avoid uh, further noise exposure because that's going to make their tinnitus, um, could make their tinnitus much worse uh, very quickly. Uh, so those are the, the, the two roles for counseling as I see it, to educate patients and to, uh, you know, ha have them uh, change, their, uh, change their habits potentially uh, if those habits are causing hearing loss and tinnitus. Um, again, um, you know, you could get more complicated from there. Um, there is uh, so-called cognitive behavioral therapy, which would be probably delivered by a, a trained psychologist where 
the the goal is again maybe not to uh, you know not to eliminate tin. This is not something you can counsel away or wish away, uh, but it will, um, for example, maybe allow you to uh, focus on the tinnitus less. Uh, and so as a result, you know, the tinnitus is still there, but it'll seem quieter or more in the background or something that, you know, annoys you to a, to a lesser degree. And so counseling or, or cognitive behavioral therapy uh, can be successful that way, uh, even without, um, you know, reversing those, those neural changes. Um, that said, you know, we, we can try uh, some things uh, to reverse those neural changes. So if, if you know, if you don't mind, I can uh, talk mm-hmm. a few oh, minutes absolutely. about them. So, I mean, the one, one, um, one, one idea is just basically to address the, the cause of the tinnitus. So uh, if, the, um, uh, if the tinnitus is caused by hearing loss, uh, and if we can address the hearing loss, for example, with, uh, with hearing aids, uh, in extreme cases with cochlear implants, then, you know, restoring um, some of the lost stimulation with these devices uh, can reverse these brain changes and can make the tinnitus go away. I mean, similarly, if, uh, if the tinnitus is due to uh, jaw muscle issues, uh, then dental therapy is highly effective. If it's due to, um, you know, those middle ear muscle spasms I mentioned, uh, surgery of the middle ear um, is, is highly successful um, for, for, you know, for those specific uh, cases, those specific etiologies. From there, um, um, another thing that can be tried because not all, not all, you know, patients, well, not all of them have a well identifiable cause for their tinnitus and also not all patients are, are, are candidates for hearing aids uh, and cochlear implants. So uh, one, um, and this is a big topic, uh, but one uh, thing that uh, anybody can try and is often successful is is called sound therapy. Uh, so this is uh, you know the same idea for you know wearing hearing aids or or, or cochlear implants. Um, you you use sound therapy to try to again stimulate uh, the brain, especially in those frequencies that have been affected by the by the hearing loss. So there are a number of commercially available devices to play sounds that are uh, you know appropriate for your tinnitus. So your audiologist will will, will give you some guidance there. Uh, there's also a large number of apps, uh, for example, that are free to download uh, that will allow you to uh, match um, you know the sound of your tinnitus uh, to uh, external sounds. Uh, and um, the thinking is that we should listen to sounds that sound like our tinnitus. Uh, not only are these sounds most effective in masking your tinnitus, but they also uh, stimulate, again, the, you know, the ear in these frequencies that have been affected by the hearing loss. So there are a large number of, of YouTube videos that have, uh, you know, a whole myriad of sounds um, that are, um, uh, you know, changed uh, to, to different frequencies. Uh, you know, the, their amplitude modulated, so they wax and wane at different rates. Uh, and you can sort of pick and choose, uh, find some sound files that, uh, that again, effectively mask your tinnitus and, and, and give you some relief. And um, you can listen to these sounds, um, you know, some, at some points during the day uh, when you have quiet moments or when your tinnitus is particularly bothersome. Uh, if you can stand it, you can listen to sounds uh, as you fall asleep. Uh, might be preferable to uh, tinnitus, which is, um, you know, often keeping, um, keeping sufferers awake. Uh, so there's there's a, a large number of, of again uh, sound therapies to to potentially try, uh, and if you stick with it and if you feel that it's working, um, they can be effective. Now again, they rarely make the tinnitus uh, go away, um, and this also goes for you know hearing assistive devices. Uh, so um, you know when your hearing aids are off, uh, the tinnitus often comes back. Uh, when the sound therapy stops, the tinnitus often comes back. But the idea is that maybe it comes back a little quieter, a little weaker uh, each time. Uh, and the relief that you gain from wearing your hearing aids or from the sound therapy uh, lasts longer and longer 
uh, and your tinnitus over time uh, hopefully uh, gets quieter and quieter. Um, that can happen. So uh, again, you know, while there is no universal, um, you know, magic pill uh, that you can take that will cure your tinnitus. In fact, you know, there's no uh, for all of the drugs that are uh, marketed as you know potential um, potentially helpful for tinnitus. There's currently no FDA-approved drug um, that um, you know that, that that's known to be effective. So there is no quick fix. But with determination um, and with you know the help of your of your audiologist, um, you can um, you know you can um, improve. Uh, and in fact, um, in in some cases, the tin the tin this can vanish entirely. But it's not usually uh, a quick process. It can be again in in, in surgical treatments uh, for hearing loss uh, or for these muscle twitches. As soon as the you know the surgery is successful and you recover, uh, patients often find that their tinnitus is entirely gone. Uh, but for these, um, you know, uh, more common um, onsets due to noise exposure, etc., where the damage to your auditory system is permanent um, and the tinnitus has been there for for a while, it usually does take some time to get better. But um, you know, you should um, uh, try to remain optimistic and uh, and 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 do everything you can, um, obviously, to to try because because these things can work over time. And to go back to a previous point that you made about the use of um, hearing devices for sound therapy, it may be that your tinnitus is not a frequency in the range that these devices can amplify, but that's not to say that sound therapy can't be beneficial. I usually tell my patients that one of our other um, main goals is to distract and relax. So if you're going through the options for sound therapy, you may come across something that you feel provides you with relief, even if you may still hear your tinnitus signal above that sound as you listen to it. But if you feel that it lowers your anxiety or um, makes you feel more relaxed, more tolerant, able to participate in what it is that you would like to accomplish. Oftentimes people feel distracted by their tinnitus when they're trying to do something in a quiet environment, such as fall asleep or read something. But if you add a little bit of background sound that allows you to direct your attention away from your tinnitus, that doesn't cause you to lose your concentration on the task at hand and provides you with some relaxation, that can also be beneficial for what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Now, I'm often asked by patients if there are any research studies that they can participate in for tinnitus. Because um, at some point, they may have gone online and they've looked at all of the possible options. They've been to num numerous specialists and they need something new. Yeah. What's on the horizon with okay. tinnitus research? Okay, yeah. Um, so, uh, you made many great points, and um, I'll first say that um, even you know the things that that, that we've discussed so far, um, you know, hearing aids, sound therapies, etc. It's 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 you know it's not a hard science yet. Different things can work for different people, and and different things provide um, you know different levels of relief. So uh, as you know, as you said, you should just try to uh, you know experiment and do whatever whatever you can to to give yourself uh, some relief. Now, if you you know if you've tried many things uh, and you're still suffering, first of all, that that's you know that does that, that does occur. I mean, again, this is not something that it's not you know it's a, you shouldn't blame yourself. You know, it's not your fault. This is just a hard nut nut to crack uh, in, in some cases. You know, if you're really suffering from 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 tinnitus, you do almost anything to 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 have it gone. 
Uh, and so this is why, um, yeah, ten, you know, tinnitus patients with, with hard cases with loud tinnitus do uh, look everywhere for new clinical trials out there, um, you know, testing new, new therapies. So one thing, though, is that some of these um, new treatments on the horizon uh, are, are invasive. So they involve uh, some sort of um, surgical intervention, uh, not all of them. So one, for example, that's um, new uh, but less invasive. Well, it's, it's, it's new, um, not so new. It's been, you know, it's been tried uh, for, for almost a decade now um, with mixed success. Um, there's still many clinical trials right now looking to um, really, you know, see if this is effective and to, um, you know, fine-tune uh, these techniques. So I'm thinking of um, transcranial, so through the skull, uh, transcranial electrical and magnetic stimulation. And the goal of both of those techniques is, is, is the same. It's to, um, you know, shut down, uh, reduce the activity of the, of the brain area that's uh, contributing to the tinnitus. Um, so the problem is that, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, for all patients um, where, where the tinnitus is or what, what areas of the brain are, are, are causing this, this phantom sensation. Um, so there's more work that needs to be done. Uh, and and this, um, this, this therapy, this transcranial magnetic or electrical stimulation uh, may ultimately be something that needs to be customized to individual patients. You may need, uh, for example, fMRI scans to identify hyperactive brain regions before, before this therapy. But that's, that's one thing that, that can be tried. And I know there are clinical trials uh, ongoing. Uh, another one um, that's more invasive is, is deep brain stimulation. So this is really, um, you know, let's say n next level, but uh, deep brain stimulation. So this is where you have a, an electrode. Uh, instead of the electrical stimulation being delivered through the skull, the electrode is actually implanted um, in, your, in your brain. Uh, now, this uh, deep brain stimulation is, has had a lot of success, uh, recent success in treating things like epilepsy, like Parkinson's, where, um, you know, we know exactly where in the brain um, the problem is and, and if these areas can be, can be stimulated or, or suppressed, uh, then um, again, this is often beneficial for, for epileptics, for Parkinson's patients, etc. So the same approach is being tried to, again, reduce the activity um, of the brain in, in tinnitus patients. So I know there's a trial um, ongoing in San Francisco. There's another one in, in Europe. So there's that. There are also um, so-called multimodal stimulation devices. So we talked about uh, sound therapy. Uh, so uh, in addition to the sound being delivered um, on its own, uh, the sound is paired with um, electrical stimulation of, of, of various nerves. Um, for example, uh, one company uh, makes uh, makes a tongue stimulator. So you have a little uh, a little uh, you know electric electrode that goes on the tongue and delivers little mild shocks to the tongue that are paired uh, with the sound stimuli. And again, remember I mentioned that there is a pathway from a somatosensory pathway via the trigeminal nerve uh, from. Uh, from the head and neck into the auditory system, into the cochlear nucleus. So the idea is that, you know, this electrical stimulation and the sound will produce uh, some synergistic effect. Uh, so there's, there's a lot on the horizon um, and a lot of, a lot of uh, experiments and work and, and clinical trials being done. Um, unfortunately, uh, at, at this moment, uh, there isn't, you know, so much in the way of results, um, at least, you know, uh, results that have been repeated, validated, have sort of stood the test for time, uh, stood the test of time. But, but it, you know, th this is on the horizon. So those are, those are the main ones, I think, this multimodal stimulation. Uh, I mean, another one is, uh, is electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve. Uh, so this, uh, again, involves the implant of, of an electrode to stimulate the vagus nerve, which is a 
um, uh, a major source of, um, uh, of, of, of activity for um, the brain, which, which, uh, which is believed to drive, um, you know, these plastic changes. Um, uh, so the goal is, again, to reverse the, the, the hyperactivity, the neural activity that's responsible for the tinnitus. So um, there are all of these uh, techniques on the horizon, and there are things to try. Um, I mentioned that there's no FDA-approved drug. Um, but those trials are also in progress. Uh, so there have been drugs that have been found to work uh, in animal studies. Unfortunately, as is often the case, uh, they come with side effects. Uh, so, you know, they lead to sometimes even, even worse problems than this. Uh, so, so there's nothing yet FDA approved, uh, but there are things on the horizon and, and trials there. So, um, you know, there, 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 is, there are things to choose from, unfortunately. Um, not all of these trials uh, come without risk because, again, they involve um, invasive neurostimulation uh, or the taking of, of experimental drugs. But well, It's very interesting that they are working in this direction of electrical stimulation and the magnetic stimulation. But before you choose to participate in anything, you want to have your hearing tested. The first step would be to know what is it that you're trying to treat. And so you would want to start with a hearing exam and then to discuss the results with an audiologist who is experienced with the management of tinnitus. And then they will come up with an individualized plan and direct you to the appropriate resources. So tinnitus can be effectively managed. I know the old adage that people hear is that you just have to learn to live with it. And there are mainly management techniques that are currently available but science continually develops, as we just heard, um, new ways of managing the tinnitus, and hopefully we will see something less invasive, more easily obtained in the future. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the PI Podcast. Look for new episodes each month on different audiological topics, and tune in for the next one soon. Thanks.